passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome to Rewind a Dynamite, Wednesday, September the 6th. I am John Pollock and he is Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hello, back. Back here. How are you, John? I'm doing, I'm doing well. Very good. Oh, that's good. I actually believe you. Do you sometimes doubt my sincerity? Yeah, often, actually. That's fair enough. I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Had a productive day. That's great. That's all you need. That's it. Productivity. Key to Productivity. I want to feel uh, active, alive. Checked off all those boxes. You have a good good dinner? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Fine dinner. What more could you ask for? What time do you eat at typically? Man, today I ate at like seven thirty, like right before. That's so late. I actually, you know what? I I ate during dynamite actually, so it actually bled right into my. I couldn't do that. I couldn't eat at the same time as I watched dynamite. Well, that's why um, you should get NordVPN so you can watch it on delay. For those out there, and I'm sure there are a handful of you that are Canadian viewers that watch tonight either online on TSN or on TSN2. There was this commercial for CTV and TSN for the returning NFL season. And the premise is you've got a table read with all of these, uh, you know, football players, uh, comedians and such. And they're going through this table read as if the NFL was a television show that was going into its next season and they're going through scenarios. Ha ha. I think I saw this ad 20 times tonight and I was about to self-destruct if I heard this ad one more time. And anybody that watched the Canadian feed tonight sympathizes with what I went through because this ad, there should be restrictions on how many times you can air an ad on one given network in a two hour period, because it's, if I was a football fan, I'd question it after this. If I was a football fan, I would purposely not watch anything TSN and CTV is broadcasting because it was so intrusive tonight. This ad. Oh, wow. Goodness. Well, there's there's definitely too much of a good thing. Um, so I've decided this season I'm not watching any football. Not a game. Yeah, I think you're going to show them. Absolutely. I'm supporting uh, Charter Communications. They're having a, a carriage fee right now, a uh, battle yeah. with uh, Disney. So 
I'm, I'm aware. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, coming up, uh, let's just get out the, uh, the, the schedule out of the way because on Thursday, Wei Ting did some digging today. I could tell he was doing his UFC 200 research because he uncovered um, our news coverage at the time of July of 2016, where Wei and I were sent to Las Vegas in the scorching heat in the middle of July to cover UFC 200. And day after day, had to get up, leave our hotel, and lug all of our equipment uh, because we got booked at the wrong hotel uh, that we were supposed to stay at. Do you remember this one? No, I don't, actually. What hotel did we stay at? We were supposed to be staying across the street. Do you remember this? No, I don't, but okay. Okay. Anyway, take my word for it. Anyway, uh, we covered three UFC cards in three nights, and this included the return of Brock Lesnar, not the return of John Jones, who was yanked from the card. Anderson Silva jumps in on two days notice. These were full of press conferences, tears, drug test failures, future drug test failings by one Brock Lesnar. All of it will be uh, dissected, including all of the news going on that week. Because, oh, by the way, the UFC was sold days after this event. Mm. A, A very exciting week to be covering something like that. So uh, I look forward to revisiting it and not just talking about the fights, but also the whole week. If you're not an MMA fan, I think you will still get a lot out of the, the show. The fights are a, a small portion of it. It's really the the stories surrounding uh, a lot of the, uh, the larger events that were going on at the time uh, for UFC and also going on in WWE at the time. Impact had just tried something out that week called the final deletion. And we will uh, talk about all of that. So that's coming up Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com. And if you are a um, a loyal cafe consumer, you will be getting not just Rewind Away on Thursday, but then Friday night, Way and I have Rewind to SmackDown. We'll be taking your calls. And then, because of all the changes, Wei Ting is allowed back on Collision on Saturday night. He is back on our head of... Uh, post-talent relations. He is going to be on with Kate from Montreal. Um, Way said that uh, if he's going to be on collision, there can be no John Cena in the building. So we will hear Way for a special Saturday night because the intrepid reporter himself, John Cena, he's going to be, we're, we're sending him out. We're making him work this weekend. He's going to be in uh, White Plains, New York for Friday and Saturday's Impact shows. They've got Victory Road on Friday and then Impact 1000 on Saturday. So John will be covering those and uh, writing reports for the site. So a busy weekend. Very busy. So cry me a river, John Cena. I'll be there on Saturdays. But if you want to hear John Cena this week, you got to listen to what up next, the latest edition, then maybe the final edition of what up next is as he'd be Detroit take over for our friends at the BDE who will be making their return next Tuesday to talk about NXT. So, Doing a great job for the past three weeks are B. Detroit and John Cena. Okay, today's news. Um, today, we heard of the passing of Adnan Al-Casey, who, depending on how old you are, I would say, uh, Way, you would probably best remember him as General Adnan. And for those that are a bit older, odds are you remember him as Sheik Adnan Al-Casey, who was one of the, the lead heel figures in the AWA throughout the 80s, um, had a very lengthy wrestling career. He was actually born in Baghdad, Iraq in 1939, and he was a very accomplished amateur wrestler, both over there and then leaving the country when he went to the University of Houston. And he ended up playing football there 
and then transferred to Oklahoma State. Do, do you like the graphic I went with? Because this to me was, uh, I had to go with this one. The match made in hell here with General Adnan. I, I think it's the visual a lot of us might, might remember him as. Yeah, I'm not kidding. When I first saw this group, this was one of the earlier events that I saw when I first started renting wrestling shows. And I I thought this group was awesome. And, and General Adnan was maybe my earliest favorite promo at the time where he, wow. he would just yell and scream. Uh, and he really just was the, the key to this act and, and why I enjoyed it um, at, at the time. I did not understand the politics behind this, this group at the time as yeah. the, uh, Iraqi sympathizers, or in fact, him. I mean, as the story goes and Sheik Adnan Al Casey, he put out a book in 2005. I've not read the book, but I recall at the time, like this one was just loaded with, wrestling tales that just seemed so far-fetched that it was very hard to decipher truth from fiction but as the story goes he had some type of relationship at least as the story goes of him like going to school and a peer of his was Saddam Hussein there was some kind of connection there I don't know how deep it is and how much maybe that was embellished over time but Mm -hmm. the story went that you know he was brought back to Iraq to do wrestling matches and big shows that allegedly had all of these fans but none of it has been verified in terms of these attendance figures but was a, a big deal in Iraq and as i mentioned like a really uh, uh, he he was a two-time all-american over here when he was wrestling for Oklahoma State and from there uh met up with well got into the industry through Leroy, Leroy McGurk and his career he wrestled as Billy White Wolf and various names uh, around Adnan Al Casey, which was a shortened version of his of his birth name. And he went uh, to many, many different places. He his key territories were, were Texas, where he wrestled uh, in Southwest Championship Wrestling. He wrestled uh, in Houston, in Dallas. Then he went to Oregon for Don Owen. He was very successful there as a both tag team and singles wrestler. Hawaii was a major. Uh, stop for him wrestling for Ed Francis. He had a lot of success there as well, teamed with uh, Peter Maivia and uh, won various uh, versions of their tag team championships. Then did a tour of New Japan where his very first night in New Japan, he teamed with Nikolai Volkov against Antonio Inoki and Seiji Sakaguchi. And he had multiple tags and even several singles matches with Inoki on that tour in 1974 during the very the infancy of new japan pro wrestling and uh he came back to the u.s and you know he had he had a run in the wwf where he ended up becoming the uh won the the tag team championships with chief j strongbow and then left the territory and had this unique uh back-to-back series of title matches where he wrestled Nick Bockwinkle for the AWA title and two weeks later wrestled superstar Billy Graham for the WWF title. So those were two noteworthy back-to-back matches he had in that period. And then in 1980, he goes to the AWA. And at this point he is slowing down in the ring. He did do a lot of wrestling in the AWA, but he largely becomes the the big heel mouthpiece. And of course, during the eighties, you can imagine kind of the, uh, the xenophobic heel that he became at this time. That was easy heat. And he was of course associated with Jerry Blackwell. He, he managed Ken Patera, Bruiser Brody when, when he would come through and even was paired with the iron Sheik in 1988 in the AWA, which was almost a, I guess a, a quasi audition for when they would be paired together 
uh, two years later because that's his last major run. It's it's in the midst of the lead up to the Gulf War and WWF. They turn Sergeant Slaughter heel and make him an Iraqi sympathizer, and they brought in uh, General Adnan as his mouthpiece, and then they added. Uh, the Iron Sheik, who for whatever reason they just renamed Colonel Mustafa, even though there was there was no different. It it was so odd. Like here is your former WWF champion that's being brought back without a mask, without any hidden identity, and we're going to rename him as if the crowd is not going to know who this is. But they they changed the name, and and they had their run here. It was very controversial, given that you know it was at, at a time when their their ratings were going down, especially uh, where. Things would end with NBC for Saturday night's main event. WrestleMania 7 was the match that they were building towards. And at this point, the, the the Gulf War had ended. But they went through with this show, moved it from the LA Sport uh, the LA Memorial Coliseum to the much smaller sports arena because they were they were not going to fill that Coliseum, even though they tried to position it as, you know, the, for fear of safety because of how red hot this this heel uh threesome were. So Slaughter drops the title there, and then they extended it through SummerSlam, where Adnan actually wrestled. It was a three-on-two handicap match with Hogan and Warrior against uh, Mustafa, Adnan, and Slaughter. And for the rest of the run, they flipped Slaughter back babyface, and he he ended up working against uh, Iron Sheik and Adnan on a bunch of the house shows, just in two-on-one handicap matches. And by 92, he goes, he leaves the company, and he... He tried his hand at promoting on the independents, did a handful more matches, and wrestled as late as 98. But that was about it for his wrestling career. And Slam Wrestling had noted he had been in poor health. He was 84 years old when he uh, passed away. And that's he, he had a very extensive career, one you could go into a, a lot deeper, just looking at all the different territories he was in. And for a prolonged period of time, Australia, he, he ended up winning the... Um, the main heavyweight championship there for world championship wrestling in Australia when Jim Barnett had the territory. So, I mean, he went to a lot of different places and, you know, his career was much more than the slaughter run, but that was a time when probably a lot of people were exposed to him. If not that the AWA, which would be where it was most accessible to, to see him. Mm. Yeah. I had no idea myself that his uh, wrestling career went that far. So you want to learn a lot more about it, check out John's write-up at postwrestling.com. I also want to make mention of uh, Alexander Dean, at least uh, his real name, Dean Merton, who wrestled as uh, Sean South and Alexander Dean. He died this week, only 35 years old. He was an Irish wrestler, um, and you, you saw um, Becky Lynch posted a, a tribute for him. Uh, the, the two of them uh, were actually trained uh, trained at Finn Balor's uh, school together, and it was actually Becky Lynch's last match before going to the WWE was a mixed tag uh, involving uh, Dean Merton um, that they had in 2013. And he, he started his career in 2005 and worked with a lot of the talent that, you know, came from that part of the world, uh, you know, with Sheamus in Irish whip wrestling with uh, Drew Galloway, Zack Sabre Jr. He teamed with Jordan Devlin, but also worked with like Joe Hendry from impact, Joe coffee, Noam Dar. And, came over once for uh, Chikara when they were doing a tournament in 2011 and did a four-way match that included uh, Nick Jackson and 
wrestled for a lot of the groups over the last few years, like ICW in Scotland, WXW, and had been wrestling uh, for a group called Mega Slam Wrestling up until this past January. So um, our condolences, uh, 35 years old, um, very, very sad story of him uh, passing away. So just wanted to make mention of him as well. And you can also read uh, Becky Lynch. Um, she tweeted out her her memories and, and thoughts of him. And on top of that, Becky Lynch also noted that she was on her way to the card in India this Friday. And she had some issue with her passport and they wouldn't let her board the flight. So she is not going to India for this card on Friday. And uh, that's the latest on Becky Lynch. That's um quite the trip to all of a sudden fall apart at the last second. She must've been at the airport. Yeah, she must've. I wonder what it could be. I don't know. Um, I think it was on that trip to Vegas. Remember that one where uh, they pulled me aside and I had to go into the waiting area for like an hour. I don't remember anything. So you're going to have to remind me of a lot. I was, I was digging, I was digging into my memory bank this week. She says that there's a tiny tear in her passport and she's not been allowed to board her flight as a result. So, protect those passports how how can you keep a passport in pristine condition if you were like our regular traveler overseas i mean a tear maybe maybe she's not uh maybe it's more than just a, a tear maybe it's like it does things mangled i don't know who knows that seems like a pretty minor infraction you think yeah WWE would uh you know lay down uh some muscle there to process mm-hmm. this issue how can we fix this tear? That's the question. Well, you know whose passport must be a mess from all this traveling? Kevin, Kevin Kelly. I think he's tired of it. So yeah. he's uh, he wants to give his passport a break. He's stated, he was asked about, you know, there was there have certainly been like rumors going around about him eventually wrapping up with New Japan Pro Wrestling now that he has the collision gig. And he addressed it on Twitter he, or on X and said that he will be ending his run there at some point but he'll leave it to New Japan to announce it or not. I plan on calling Destruction in Real Goku, which is the October 9th show, and Wrestle Kingdom slash New Year Dash, stating that his wife of 32 years said she doesn't want to be alone anymore. That's why I made the decision. So um, in time, New Japan will be putting in a new English voice and ending Kevin Kelly's uh, very lengthy run as the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I find it really interesting how he said that, that he would wait for New Japan to um, announce it when he basically announced it himself on X. So, um, you know, if I, if I took one thing from the G1, one of many things from the G1 this year, I don't think, I think Kevin Kelly is is too concerned about any any pushback over any of his choices of what he is willing to disclose. Has he pretty much said here? Yeah, I'll wait for them to announce it. But yeah, I'm, I'm or not ooses deuces. Yeah, I mean, I never think you should look um, unprofessional at all, like when you're exiting a company, especially because I, I mean, you have other employers that I think will probably not look too fondly on that in the future, much less, you know, people that are working with New Japan Pro Wrestling as partners. But then again, I, I can only imagine maybe some of the um, lack of um, maybe... <laughs> Guidance that Kevin Kelly has had to endure, you know, as like oftentimes maybe one of the only English speaking people that might actually be a part of his broadcast team and what he's had to do to, you know, make a lot of these broadcasts work. So, I mean, between that and the travel, I I mean, I imagine he he's much happier doing this gig. Yeah, I I would imagine for for many broadcasters that have a 
desire to work in the wrestling industry. I'm sure it's a dream gig, but that is a pretty tough one to be doing year in, year out, all those flights, all that time in Japan. I mean, he went through the pandemic there, uh, like the period where before that Wrestle Kingdom last year, and he had to go. I'm pretty sure he had to be there at least through New Year's, if not Christmas as well, of just uh, being in a hotel room. Like he has, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's only so many of those, you know, work trips that I, I think you can take. And then, you know, you get this collision deal, which I'm sure is a very lucrative one for him. And at that point, you are starting to piece out what 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 are what is my reasonable work schedule looking like here, and what requires the least amount of travel. Yeah, we'll move on to some ratings notes here. Um, won't go through everything here, but the SmackDown and Rampage numbers. Uh, just quickly, SmackDown with with John Cena's return, while down from the week before, which was the big uh, double tribute show, um, still did a very strong number with two million four hundred forty three thousand viewers and a point six five in the demo. Rampage did three hundred seventy two thousand viewers and a point one one in the demo, and we'll be using those as a comparison point for the next one and this is the main number to focus on this week collision did three hundred and forty five thousand viewers also a point one one in the demo and so uh collision actually did fewer viewers than rampage overall now this was going against payback it was also going against three college football games and fox was carrying a a major league baseball game so there was a lot going against them and if you look though at the first quarter like that was the big quarter of the show and you would think that i can state for myself i tuned in for the first 10 minutes and then was watching payback and i think a there were probably quite a lot of people like that as well that heard Tony Khan address the punk situation and you saw the Danielson return and then people were off to do something else because there were some dramatic drops like within the body of the show, the 18 to 49 audience was in half of what it started as. It was a, a very large drop throughout the the show. The one spike in the middle was the Dennis Rodman segment, which did see a bit of a pickup, uh, which was at the nine to nine fifteen hour um lowest collision in history and down 38 percent in viewers this week down 29 percent in 18 to 49 down 35 in 18 to 34 so my question to you way this was going against payback which is not SummerSlam, and i mean what do you attribute for this being the lowest of all time and lower than the episode that went against SummerSlam a month ago I have to imagine it's a combination of, you know, payback still, I think, be a, a, a good factor. Maybe the lack of interest going into all out um, and certainly competition, you know, from other sports going up against it. Uh, how much, you know, how many people might have tuned in and heard CM Punk is not going to be there and they're tuning out. I'm not willing to think that it's that significant of, a, of an audience that's strictly, you know, there for this particular evening to watch CM Punk. Uh, not to say that that can't be the case. And we'll find out about that, I'm sure, you know, in the weeks ahead. To, to be fair to AEW, it's not like they did some like tease throughout the show, like Tony Khan will address CM Punk. Like they could have done it in a really kind of sleazy way to just try and squeeze one more number out of yeah. CM Punk. Like if you did tune in, and I did think like this this show was going to get hit by what they were up against, but I did think the punk news was going to kind of cushion the blow in a, in a bit that there would be a curiosity that might not have been there. Like if you were not planning to watch collision, 
tuning in might have been like, how are they going to react to this? And you still did have the question of kind of a, a, a addressing it and towards the pay-per-view. And it seems like that curiosity, like AEW stamped that out immediately. You heard that statement and there was not going to be any punk angle on the show. There was not going to be any more involvement. Although like I wondered week. if they could have like held off on the Brian Danielson revealed for later and tease that throughout the show, if that might've made any difference. Mm, but you know, I, I wonder maybe it wouldn't have. It's worth noting between the the three college games and the baseball game on Fox, that was about eight and a half million viewers combined on the big four networks. But that like that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of, you know, college football is back and maybe it's going to be taking more of a bite out of AEW than we uh, assumed. But this Saturday, we'll know what a non WWE night has in terms of collision i would think that they are gonna do a they should do a better number than this but this was this was a bad number i would say and i can't put all of it onto payback i think there are other reasons and punk you would think like he is going to have a short term um it's it's going to harm collision and based on what they built up tonight i can't say like this saturday feels like it's this huge show either it's it's kind of standard fare of what you would expect for a collision. I consider it a bit a bit higher than standard just because I think um, they've done a good job, at least tonight, of establishing this tournament and how fast it's moving. So the match that you are... The finals are next Wednesday. So, yeah, this tournament, yeah. they've got to move quickly. Semis are already happening. So um, it feels like it's a relevant show. You're also going to get Danielson on the show, of course. And uh, and the last one was Raw doing a million seven hundred and four thousand viewers, point five two in the demo, and this was against the uh, the uh, Duke football game. So this they were up seven percent in viewers, up three in the demo. So it held up very well against a college football game. But the more sizable competition is the NFL next Monday. Although with this this charter um, carriage dispute, I mean that is almost fifteen million cable subscribers that might not have access to ESPN come next Monday. So that's that's good news for WWE. But I think everyone expects some kind of resolution. It's just a question of when they reach it. But those are all of the ratings, news, and notes. And you can find all the latest news up at postwrestling.com. And again, Thursday. Rewind away, number 138. We're chatting UFC 200 and the week that was in July of 2016. So we'll be talking everything from Wahlburgers to John Jones and Brock Lesnar and everything in between. Are you sure that was the same trip? It was the same trip. Really? Wow. You have a way better memory than me, but all right. Take my word for it. One of the uh, worst decisions I think you and I can recall of Mm. traveling together. Okay, we are going to get into Dynamite from the, you know, sometimes I talk about like the corporatization of some of these arenas. I was perfectly content with the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. I mean, this feels like a place I'd go to on a Saturday morning to get um, my week's groceries. The Indiana (laughs) Farmers Coliseum in Indianapolis. Um, Farmers um, need stadiums too. Well, um. Plenty of them in Indianapolis were probably getting a good night's rest because the uh, the tickets distributed number by WrestleTix was twenty nine hundred people, which is not um not a stunning number for for mm-hmm. Dynamite. But listen, for several segments, they sounded a lot louder than under three thousand people. Orange Cassidy, they announced that Orange Cassidy would speak on tonight's show. We would hear from him, and we literally did hear from him. He came out and. He gets the hero's welcome of freshly squeezed. Thank you, Orange. His forehead is bandaged up. 
and he was told to stay home tonight, but he will be here every week with or without a championship because I am Orange Cassidy and I don't have a catchphrase. And he rolls out of the ring as the BCC's music begins and Moxley and Claudio are entering through the crowd and Orange has to watch his ex-girlfriend walk down the aisle with a new man. And that is what he had to see here with his title with a new holder in John Moxley. Um, if I was a friend of John Moxley's, I would have said, you know what, dude, take the night off. This, this was not needed for you to, to come all the way here, but they, they did start off the show with him to give him, you know, a sense of importance. But I'm just saying from a logical standpoint, like why, why would this athlete be on the show tonight against the warnings of others? John Moxley or Orange Cassidy? Orange Cassidy. Oh yes. Um, well, he just likes to be there. He likes to show that, you know, um, I mean, he's there to collect the accolades, right? You know, I, I understand I, like the, the logic behind booking a I'm show. Saying the character himself him a probably, player, but. I'm saying the character himself probably just wants the adulation, you know, of, of, of a live TV audience versus, you know, a pay-per-view audience as well. I mean, regardless, it's it was a nice little segment to give Orange the spotlight uh, and the acknowledgement essentially of just an amazing title run that he's had and also an amazing main event that he had on Sunday as well. He, yeah, I, I say that with the complete knowledge that had he not been on the show, I think it would have been a big mistake. Like this guy's just forgotten and we're just moving on or something like that. Like this tells me, you know, he is going to be a featured player weekly. They pretty much said that like this guy's going to be on the show every single week. He's a main player uh, with or without yeah. this title. Yeah. And I like the fact that he, you know, even though we heard him cut a real promo for the first time last week, I like that he didn't just like automatically start cutting real promos from this point on. I think that to make those feel special, they should only come out once in a while and instead revert back to, you know, being your slacker character for the most part. I think it works absolutely fine. Um, This seemed to maybe tease a possible rematch with Moxley, maybe even like some sort of association with Darby here uh, on on the ramp as well. Not exactly sure. Uh, I would have personally loved to have seen him like somewhat inserted into like the world title picture, but there's probably... I, I have a laundry list of people um there's we can start with Orange Cassidy. You, you would think 30 title defenses might be able to solidify you one of eight spots in this tournament. Yeah, but they probably determined that even before, you know, um, the, the the title loss, right? And they probably want to give him at least they wanted to take, give him some time off. So at least they told him not to wrestle this week. Well, right? there, there were a lot of people like this is my issue with some of these tournaments that they book is that they are very averse to putting in people that they have to give a loss to. And right. therefore, like what is water Nick down these tournaments where there's a Jay Lethal uh, that's two matches away from a title match. And or yet, Nick Wayne. And Nick Wayne. Like, we yeah. just watched these two pay-per-views with, like, where is a Brian Danielson? Where is, like, all these people that won big matches and none of them are in this tournament. And I well, think they're just, recovering. They're, that's the answer. That's their storyline answer. Yeah. Okay. What's the reason for Darby Allen? Uh, Darby, why is he in it? He won is the he coffin not recovering? match. He won the coffin match. He lost to uh, Luchasaurus. Sure. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> saying wins dude. and losses. I'm saying in your recovery method, like this guy's like walking around with like a broken back. He got cleared. He got cleared somehow. Okay. Anyway, I mean, the simple answer is, John, we're not really supposed to think about it. This really, <laughs> the tournament is just an excuse for them to put on matches that they would put on anyway, but with some semblance of a narrative to get us to a title, you know, challenger. That's that's it. 
Okay. They should advertise it like that because that's um, it's, it's a very. I don't think it would fit on the graphic. John Moxley and AR Fox had their international title match. Fox comes out with Darby and they watch in the back, uh, him and Nick Wayne. Fox lands a dive over the top and then Moxley takes over and he throws Fox over the barricade, applies an Indian death lock. He's biting the fingers and Moxley is delivering kicks to the chest. And Excalibur notes that there's extra reason for the BCC to want to win this match because AR Fox cost the BCC a chance to win the money last year on Rampage in what Excalibur called the something something battle royal. It's like Excalibur. Are you telling me that off the top of your head, you can't recall the $300,000 three Kings Christmas casino trios battle Royale (laughs) one by top flight and AR Fox. Yes, this was added reason. I promise you, John Moxley does not have a care in the world about this tournament that was on this random episode of Rampage, which did draw a number on Rampage, as I recall, uh, that they lost, which I think was in December. But God bless Excalibur for trying. I appreciate that, like, you know, he or whatever team of researchers he might have will go to great lengths to, you know, create backstory for a lot of these sometimes random matchups on AEW, Dynamite, or Collision. Uh, But sometimes I, I guess you don't really need that backstory. You know someone in his ear gave him the whole name of that tournament, and he was not going to repeat that verbatim. It's like, I can't remember all that. So Hammer and Anvil elbows, and then Fox gets an Inseguri before Moxley kills him with the Lariat and Death Rider in 8 minutes and 23 seconds to retain the International Championship, which is probably a good thing in hindsight, because I think AEW learned that AR Fox might not be an international talent they can send. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, They'd have to rename the title, I guess. You know, the AEW domestic championship. Yeah. Although I don't know if Orange Cassidy defended it internationally at all. Well, Moxie's going to, uh, he's finally going to do his OTT date uh, later this year. So he's, let's not go to Ireland. Let's not jinx it. I don't think he should even announce it. It should just be a surprise. Yeah. It should just be, I'm going to come for one of these shows, buy yeah. tickets to all of them, and I'll, I'll, I'll show up at one yeah. because God knows there'll be a house rules uh, the, the week before announced when he, <laughs> or wants pandemic to go. or something, or, or, or Tony Khan rips a slight tear in his passport could be it maybe that was ar fox's issue tear in his passport this was a very good match i thought you know fox is high flying i thought um and moxley's very destructive barrage like mesh really well together and uh mox continues just to just feel like a totally unbeatable wrestler right now he carries himself like a monster he carries himself like a top guy and i think this means we'll get a mox singles match every single week which is wonderful for this international title because the value is not going to be any higher than it is currently unless you have somebody like a moxley who might be able to even elevate it further darby is checking on ar fox and raises up fox's arm to the crowd nick wayne does not come out he is watching this in the back and he turns around and runs into christian and luchasaurus and christian says i watched some footage of your father he was actually worse than i even thought and you should be looking at a champion for a true mentor, unlike Darby, and ends up by saying, say hi to your mom for me. And what I loved about this is that they left they left it on Nick Wayne to be like, after all this, he's, he's like, yeah, but he does make some good points here. Even though he insults my deceased father and is hitting on my mother, it's like Nick Wayne is still torn here between this man and, you know, could he could he be speaking the truth? I love it. I love it. I think I think Christian is like the most entertaining he's been in his entire AEW run thus far. 
Um, I never thought I would say how entertaining it would be for somebody, somebody to um, make fun of somebody's parents alive or dead, but Christian has achieved that. Chris Statlander defended the TBS championship against Amy Sakura. So Amy Sakura in two weeks has outperformed her dynamite appearances in more than since 2019. She has doubled them. I mean, it tells you, I think how much better she's become and how like it doesn't not happen not too often where like you have these sort of like, I don't know, mainstays of um, dark and dark elevation, just, just be able to kind of break through, especially at some, somebody like, you know, who's not like maybe um the i I don't want to sound offensive but a veteran i should say you know like like her so it tells you like how i mean her stat line is she's had 2200 matches over her however long career when did her career start 95 i i don't know i I wouldn't even venture to guess but i mean it tells you like how great she's been at being able to reinvent herself and, and and earn a spot really like you know uh on this show she didn't get on Wembley but she she's getting regular dynamite appearances which is nice so then uh match begins and Statlander is sent off the apron with a running cross body and then another one with Statlander against the steps uh they trade chops they have a lariat battle and they go down from the double clothesline and I thought the crowd was going to start chanting double clothesline when any other performers do it but they didn't hear Sakura ducks a discus lariat and the attempt is made at the Wednesday night fever but Sakura counters connects with a double underhook into a backbreaker for a two count and then is stopped on the buckle and drives her off and hits a discus lariat and the Wednesday night fever pinning Amy Sakura in four minutes and 27 seconds they didn't have the longest time but I I thought that Sakura did a very good job here with Statlander and they I enjoyed the match. I wish they had a bit more time here, to be quite honest, because I think they were getting their rhythm going. And the I crowd thought... was the crowd was, you know, not losing their minds over this, but it, they were they were into some of Sakura's uh, offense and seeing her as a, enough of a threat that they were into this as a TV title defense. I think she's tremendously entertaining. I thought the match was really great. You know, she's really found this like great maniacal charisma for her character, and she wrestles like it too. She's not afraid to throw her entire body into these moves. Um, and I think something that's very, very demanded of even more of women's wrestlers in AEW is that they can hit convincingly hard. And I think Statlander has been doing that for all of her matches. And I th- thought Sakura brought it tonight, too. So I don't know if she'll ever be a wrestler that they're actually going to give any sort of storyline to. I I think she more than has earned that, um, whether it be like, you know, pairing her with somebody or or what. But I I think she should definitely be pushed roderick strong is doing a sit down with the kingdom and roderick is asked off camera tell us about your parents and we get these childhood photos of a young roderick strong and how his parents were wrapped up in their own problems with drugs and alcohol his sister left and roderick had to take care of himself then he found professional wrestling And it's not just a business to me. It's my livelihood. And Adam already knew that. He grew up alone. He's going to win this tournament alone. And that starts tonight. So we have this like heartfelt like story about Roderick Strong. And then we cut to Shivani who just dismisses him, calling him a manipulator. How was I supposed to feel about Roderick Strong after this segment aired? Um... 
Was I supposed to think he's like lying as Shivani calls him a manipulator? Or am I to have sympathy for this guy and be rooting him on? Because this was such a babyface segment. And I don't think they want me to think that about Roderick Strong. I was very perplexed by this. I don't know if manipulator is the right word. Because I don't think throughout any of this, like he's manipulated Adam Cole, at least from what we can tell. But he is also kind of portrayed. I mean, he's portrayed as a bit of a comedic figure, you know, when like they put the graphic up of, uh, you know, Roderick Strong in, in the uh, in his glasses and his hipster glasses and, and um, this neck brace and Taz already was cracking up. So I was not expecting the tone of this video to be as serious as it was, you know, seeing this guy talk in the neck brace in those glasses about his alcoholic parents or, or drug addicted parents. And um, that part might have been a bit of a disconnect, but it did make me feel more sympathetic pathetic to what how he feels about adam cole we know why he's so pissed off about adam cole because he adam cole is fully aware of everything that roddy has been through yet has now kind of turned his back on his friend so i think that was the intent i thought they were successful there um but maybe tonally i could see maybe you know people feeling it was incongruent in a, in a bit of a way i just i just felt it was especially with how we'll compare it to the segment later on it just I don't know if this really fed the the story that they're trying to tell you. I think it just created more of a, I don't know. I just didn't see this as the, the, the time to share this story about Roderick Strong in this light that they are trying to portray him as. Right. Unless, you, like, like, has he mentioned this before? I they did all these features on him back in NXT, but not not in AEW. Did he talk about his alcoholic father and drug addicted uh. mother? I, I mean, I haven't watched them since the time. I feel he went into this. Like they certainly talked about like his childhood and growing up. I am sure they they touched on this stuff. But you're you're talking like years and years. So ago. he's like, not it, lying here. Um, and no, I, 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 I would so. hate to think anybody would lie about something like that. Uh, no, I I don't believe that he is lying. I've, okay. I I mean, I didn't grow up with him, so I mean, I wasn't I wasn't there as an eyewitness. But yeah. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Uh, Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara against Ozzy Open with Don Callis on commentary. The crowd is into Guevara's offense, and there's a double-team delayed vertical onto Fletcher. And this crowd was getting behind Sammy Guevara, frequently chanting for him, getting into his offense. But then they start to get on different pages. Jericho goes for a Pescado, missing Aussie Open and taking out Sammy Guevara. So they then they they cool down and then they're hit with the collider and an Aussie arrow is hit onto Jericho. He kicks out and Fletcher hits a brain buster to Jericho. Jericho then gets up, misses Fletcher and knocks Guevara off the apron. It leads to a roll up. Jericho kicks out and connects with the Judas effect, pinning Kyle Fletcher in 1124. And Jericho and Guevara are standing in the ring. They're chanting, hug it out. But they are not going to hug it out. Each shoves the other. And then security gets in between them. I guess the security, they are on alert now for any potential violence. And Callus 
wants them arrested. <laughs> for what? I don't know. But he was calling for these two to be arrested. And Sammy leaves through the crowd by himself. So the sex gods win, but they are they are not getting along with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good match. Aussie Open were awesome. I thought this lived up to very much the standard of what you would expect from an AEW tag team match. And I thought Jericho like let's remember the man is 52 for him to be able to continue at a pace like this is really really amazing um i know that the story is about uh was it what is it jericho and guevara and Callis, but i guess i don't know why aussie open couldn't have gotten the win here especially if you're going to tell the breakup story anyway i'm i'm thinking that they're going to continue to team and get to the this tag title shot and it necessitates them winning to continue this like, I don't see them breaking up over this win. I think they're going to come back together and we're going to continue to have this like fractured relationship as they go towards the tag titles. Right. And whether that's a grand slam or, or the Seattle show, I mean, I, I feel both that tag title shot is probably going to be very, very soon. Um, they spent against, time going against over- which team? Well, you would think FTR unless they lose the titles between now and then, but I would think FTR has the tag titles. NJF and Cole. Did they say they want to go for I guess they just said the tag titles last week, right? I don't know. Like remember. it would be a bigger match against Cole and MJF, but MJF seems to have like a lot uh, of matches going on. Unless as we mentioned that if he ends up doing the tag titles at the Seattle show, I guess I guess you could slide in that as one potential. Which team may not get along? Who cannot get along the most? Yeah. I mean, we did have a bad neck versus bad neck match tonight. So, I mean, anything is in the uh, the options. They spent time going over Danielson and Starks, and I was glad they they had a package here for the match and a great promo from Starks um, showing off the, the marks all over his back, saying he proved a point to Danielson and to AEW. Nobody can tap me out. All I want is a chance. Don't feed me bread and tell me I'm full. Man isn't feasting off carbs. No, he needs meat. <laughs> oh, my God. That would have been great. <laughs> he had the shirt on. Yeah. And uh, we will hear from Brian Danielson on Collision this Saturday, which seems to be his uh, his designated home. Yeah. I, I, I mean, uh, this was incredible from Starks. And let's remember the man cut this after going through that match. You know, full of intensity. He was great. And I thought it was very a very baby face promo. You know, him play, like if you watch this video package, you would have expected like you would think that Starks would have won. They're totally going with the Austin Brett finish here and, you know, putting over the fact that he did not tap out. Um, great intensity from Starks. And I hope this said, sends him to another level. Maybe Danielson comes out and he's all depressed on Saturday that he couldn't tap this guy out. And you're basically booking it like one guy won and the other guy failed (laughs) to tap him out. So it's like the psychology is Starks did win here by not tapping out. I mean, where what is does this change the projection of, of Starks? Like, do you continue to ride this? Like, I don't think he's like fully invested as like a heel like he's very like his baby his promo last week was a baby face one and tonight as well and i think like that is like this audience is going to be behind him more than ever if if he had been in front of the crowd tonight he would have gotten one of the biggest ovations on the show i would think agreed i mean i would continue to slowly push him as an anti-hero like not a guy who you know thanks the fans a guy who's still very much an asshole but the type of asshole with like sort of um character traits that you just can't help but respect 
you know, um, and and I think that's kind of unique right now in AEW. Renee interviews Don Callis, who's with Kanosuke Takeshita, man who's beaten Kenny Omega two weeks in a row, which only ranked him ninth among the top contenders for this tournament. <laughs> and did it in seven days, and they are going to have a celebration next week in Cincinnati, and they will reveal their next target. And there's an easel with a painting underneath that Renee is trying to see because whatever this painting is would reveal the next target for Don Callis and Takesha. So they lug this thing all the way to Indianapolis with the hope that no one would see what this painting is rather than just ship it to Cincinnati for next week. But whoever is under this will be the next target. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe Orange Cassidy brought it. Maybe uh maybe, maybe someone's gonna deface maybe someone's gonna deface the painting. Maybe MJF comes out and gets a big reaction, and they note that in two weeks' time you can order your better than you baby pinup dress shirts. This was very impressive. He was wearing it tonight. Yeah, and then he tore it off by the end of the segment. He notes that when he was on the independent scene, he moved to Indiana and he asks, Who's your daddy? To the crowd they were very impressed with this line notes that he's coming back to new york on september 20th at grand slam he starts singing sinatra and then samoa joe is out and excalibur right on top of things notes the bad neck of mjf and what damage that muscle buster could do to his neck and refers to mjf as kid and mjf does not care for this the crowd is chanting joe's gonna kill you and mjf makes a joke that his theme song started playing and Samoa Joe thought it was an ice cream truck. So we've got uh, Joe calling him a kid and MJF coming back with fat jokes. And he didn't stop there because he said he could get creative too. He called him a Pillsbury Joe boy, Samoa Doe. And then he has a small penis. And this led to a tiny dick chant from the audience. And I was praying that this thing would not catch on. And they, they, they moved on from that. Oh, Indianapolis took this to a to a different level. This is exactly the type of um, content I think um, that played well with this crowd. Joe also had a great comeback, though. He said the last time I was dealing with ice cream trucks, I was busy being the biggest star on the other company's network, which is, of course, a reference to Twisted Metal and his role as Sweet Tooth on Peacock. Oh, that's okay. I was I I didn't quite get the the, the reference, but there there you have it. Um... So, yes, he he brought that up and then, I mean, made his own dick joke here that I guess <laughs> that uh, MJF, his rabbi had to postpone uh, due to a lack of material to work with. His bris. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Joe then calls him a kid for a third time. And this time MJF threatens to knock his teeth down his throat, but he's not going to get physical here and allow Joe to skip the line. If he wants a title match, he's got to go through this tournament. And then says it's story time. And that when I was 19, I got a tryout in Brooklyn, knocked it out of the park, and then brings up William Regal, who was booed vociferously. And we all know what happened to him. I knocked him out and sent him back packing to NXT where he belongs. So this was our first confirmation that Regal did not die last year when MJF killed him. He's alive. I mean, did he? We never saw him die, did he? How did he, how did he get written He off? was knocked in the back of the head. And oh. then we got the video that he played stating, if something bad happens to me, or it, if you're watching this video, it means something bad happened to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> My favorite segment of 2022 <laughs> and the handling of William Regal's exit. 
And, and, and to all our thoughts, like the, when Tony Khan had said that Regal cannot appear on television, he has not appeared on any WWE programming this year. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, rehashes the story about Regal, you know, and, and the emails and the fact he was made a security guard that night and got to be a security guard for someone he looked up to and studied the dangerous Samoa Joe. And what did you do? You shoved me into a brick wall and you laughed. And he says how, yeah, you could have gotten away with that then, but I'm not a kid anymore. I'm a generational talent that headlined the most historic show ever and warns Joe to stay out of his way or I'm going to kill you. Joe responds stating, I didn't think you were a kid back then. I thought of you as a little bitch. MJF responds with a slap. And now Joe says, I'm not taking the bait and getting provoked where I'll be uh, basically his, his uh, I guess if he had attacked him, this would have disqualified him from getting a title match, which I don't know if Joe has really done his his uh, studying of pro wrestling feuds of the past. This would We ended up attacking him anyway. So, right. so, yeah, kind of took this slap for no reason. But he's going to go through this tournament, and then he's coming for MJF. And as J- MJF goes to leave, Joe kicks the rope into Max's balls, and he lifts up the AEW title, but Max comes from behind with his own low blow, runs into a urinagi, and as he sets up for the muscle buster, Adam Cole runs down, and Joe takes off. And MJF is telling the trainers, it's worse. My neck is worse than Sunday. Oh, my my left arm is numb. Shit, shit, shit. Um, this guy was reacting like his his arm was really numb here. And Joe gets on the mic and threatens to tear him to pieces next time I see you, bitch. A segment where the word bitch, I think, was very much earned. Joe so. Joe is to bitch as Samuel L. Jackson is to the F word. I mean, just well, a certain... he could have just said kid, and I think the effect would have you been. You know what? Bitch. You're right. That would have been, that should have been the last word here instead of bitch. That would have been so much more impactful at the end. Either right. one. Either one. No, you're, you are right in this one. <laughs> I thought this was so good. In one segment, they not only gave us the backstory that we were looking for to flesh out that scene from NXT, they gave us the first round of a heavyweight promo battle between these two. And so often, I think with guys like MJF and The Rock, you know, they outclass their opponents so much on the mic that it kind of kills their opponent and just doesn't necessarily make the, the feud feel as hot as could be when you have two guys that are equally as strong. I love that Joe had equally witty comebacks to MJF here. This could possibly be MJF's greatest match on the mic so far. And I think it's a reminder of just how good of an intellectual mind Samoa Joe has, how great of an intellectual promo that he actually is. I love that MJF sold plenty for the word kid and certainly for the word bitch. Um, I think we all know, of course, Samoa Joe's like incredible, incredible ability um, in the ring. I I feel like less has been said in history about his promo ability. Yes, we all know it's great, but I don't know how many of us consider him like that to be his biggest attribute. I think this is a few that'll bring that to the forefront where he's equally as strong on the mic, if not even stronger now than he is in ring. I thought this segment was was so great that I almost feel like it's, I mean, it's only a week, but I just feel like this tournament is almost unnecessary uh, as opposed to just setting this up for for two weeks from now. And next week we have a a, one more segment to tee it up. Um, I understand what they're doing, but 
I'm not a big fan of this tournament. Why not? I just, I, I hate the brackets. It's everyone's got the match we want. And I don't think that there's anybody else you see winning this tournament beyond Samoa Joe. So it just sort of feels like it's matches. I mean, I guess to me, it's that's not even so much the point. You know, the point for me is to be able to tell the narrative of how Samoa Joe is getting to the spot. And on the other end, how Roderick Strong is going to get to that spot. I, I do think there's a purpose for this final because you have Roderick Strong on one side with a broken neck already. And you have Samoa Joe, who we've now established has the biggest weapon to kill MJF, to cripple MJF in the muscle buster. So when they meet in the finals, Joe cripples Roderick Strong. You get a lot of fallout from Adam Cole, of course, but it also sends a direct message to MJF. This is what I can do to you. It's one way to go about it. I'm just, uh, I, I just don't think it, it, it stands out to me. And I, th- I think it's also tournament fatigue in, in, in this company. Of I like the fact that it's so quick. Already next week, we're getting the finals. Roderick Strong comes out and yells at Adam, what about my neck? What about my neck? And the kingdom are now wearing neck strong t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So that takes us to Roderick Strong and Trent Beretta in a battle of whose neck is weaker in the world title eliminator tournament. And Strong wrestles without the neck brace and Trent goes after the neck and Strong is selling on the floor. Kingdom's checking on him. And then as Trent comes to attack him they stop him and he walks up the stairs and gets shoved into the post from behind and strong lifts and dumps this guy back first onto the edge of the apron and takes over during the break we then see a top rope hurricane rana by roderick goes for the stronghold and it's turned into a roll up and then strong takes a half and half suplex and trent hits a pile driver and the delivery on this was great like they really milked this thing and strong gets a foot on the rope to end the cover and then as he's holding on to the rope, Trent's pulling at him and eats a jumping knee, which leads to end of heartache. And Roderick wins in 1056. And he puts the neck brace back on. The kingdom celebrates, lifting him up. And he will face the winner of Darby Allen and Nick Wayne, which is coming up next. I love that they put the neck brace right, right back on after uh, the match. It's so ridiculous and uh, hilarious. It, it's really good to see Roddy back in action again. Um, I think this time now, the difference is you know, we don't just enjoy his in ring. Like we're also enjoying him as a character because he probably has the most entertaining gimmick he's ever had here. Um, I think, like I said, the finish is, um, or at least the finals I'm intending, I'm, I'm predicting are Joe and strong. And then Roderick just somehow gets his neck even more fucked off of a muscle buster. So I'm excited to see where that leads, uh, you know, the rest of the kingdom and Adam Cole storyline as well. Rampage on Friday will have the other quarterfinal matches with Penta against Jay Lethal and Samoa Joe against Jeff Hardy, as well, the Young Bucks taking on Matt Menard and Angelo Parker. So putting the Young Bucks onto Rampage this week. Yeah, Joe and Jeff Hardy obviously have a lot of history together, so um, that'll probably be pretty... I hope there's a promo or two, like, you know, even before that match, although it's going to be... I think we got the promo tonight in very quick fashion. I don't think they're going to build up this rampage match too much and then on saturday i mean i'm i you know either joe versus penta or joe versus jay lethal i think are going to be like pretty interesting matches you know joe versus penta alone sounds like a great in ring match that i don't know if i've ever seen before and joe and jay lethal obviously have years and years of history together so either way i i think it's a big match renee is with tony storm and she brings up how 
Tony had took the spray paint can last week and or on on the weekend and ended up costing Ruby Soho the TBS championship. And Tony Storm has no recollection of this. She has no idea what Renee is talking about. She's had so many roles over the years. And then we learn there will be a four way eliminator next week where the winner gets a title shot at Soraya at Grand Slam. And with that, um, despite giving her plenty of warning to watch for the shoe, Renee is still not ready when this shoe gets thrown at her and is is shocked by this. So, I mean, she got a heads up about the shoe. <laughs> the eliminator, eliminator fatigue is probably stronger with me than the tournament fatigue. I could have sworn this is exactly what we did, right? To, to get to... Uh, to something like so we did we had you had the four way for the title match at all in right okay so each one of them had to win a singles match to get into the four way correct right gotcha so this is a four way to get to the singles match yes involving very like a lot of the same characters yeah the four that we have it's it's Britt baker hikaru shida tony storm and uh nyla rose like, it's pretty much the same match, with the exception of Nyla Rose replacing Soraya. Yes. Yeah, I guess I feel like, I mean, maybe that's the, like, is that the reason? You know, like, these four failed at all-in, but they're going to get another opportunity. I mean, couldn't they have shaken things up a little bit? Or at least, like, found a different way to, you know, put people in, in into contention? No, no, this is the division. This is the women's division. Right. Okay. So, um, Hangman Page comes out with Tony Schiavone, and he mentions winning the Battle Royal, donating his fifty thousand to the Chicago Public Education Fund, and says teachers are underfunded. But he's here to look forward, not backward. And with that, he is cut off by Swerve Strickland and Prince Nana, who took take over this interview. And Swerve says he got a lot of clarity after spending two weeks in a coffin. <laughs> like a deprivation tank. I mean, this <laughs> someone had to tell him like, that is not mandatory. Like Did he you have just a have to be shut in the coffin. And as soon as you're wheeled out, you are free to go, sir. Like, did he fly himself back in a coffin? Well, Prince Nana paid for it. I'm sure. Okay. Well, while he was in this coffin for a week and a half, he thought of hangman page and says, you're doing charity now. And says, what are you? The mascot for AEW? These juveniles are just going to flunk out anyway. And now you're wrestling on pre-shows instead of the main card for titles. When AEW started, you were the cornerstone, hand-picked to be the franchise player. The AEW set an attendance record off your back, and either you've lost your spine or you just don't want it. You've had no new merchandise in over a year, and you've got this big contract, and you must be eating good. Because it shows as he points at his stomach and says that you never have title matches anymore. You don't get promo time anymore. You took a backseat to the elite and you got comfortable. If we had had the same opportunities, I would be the first black AEW champion by now. So either ride off into the sunset like cowboys do and let me take your slot or you man up, find that fire and show these people what cowboy shit is all about. Or we can just fight for that spot. But beware, I have no regard for anyone. I'll walk you like a dog, and I'm coming for your spot. The one you don't even act like you want. And Paige just takes this all in and says, 
you know, if you want to have a match, you've got to go to the back and get that set up. I don't need any of this right now. So he storms he off. He said I had enough of this this year. Well, he uh, turns the other cheek then. And Swerve says that it's a shame your wife and kid have to see you walk away from responsibilities. So Hangman runs back into the ring, gets into his face, and he is jumped by Brian Cage from behind and hit with the drill claw uh, to end, um, I thought, a second excellent in-ring segment for for tonight. And Swerve was outstanding in this segment. Outstanding. Absolutely. I thought everything about this was so great. From Swerve's brilliant promo, pointing to every fan's complaint about Hangman's booking this year, to the cage beatdown, to Prince Nana's dancing, to Swerve's song. His way on the ring was great. The best. Um, This is the type of story or the type of promo that will turn Hangman Page back into the hangman that I think we all loved in his quest for the championship. The guy who's not so sure of himself and has overcome, you know, a whole lot of millennial anxiety to become his best self, you know, I, and I, and Swerve is like the perfect psychological villain to try to bring that out of him. Swerve continues to just impress so much with every person that he's working with. And this is going to be his highest profile feud to date with somebody, a former champion like Hangman. Um, Him saying that he'd be the first black champion if he had Pages opportunities. I think the entire world was saying, yeah, yep. Like Because in terms of talent, he's shown that he's arguably as talented, if not more than Hangman Page. And Hangman Page is pretty damn talented. So I also took it as sort of calling his shot. You know, like I really do think if he continues performing at this rate he's going to be champion he has to be uh, i love that they continue to use brian cage as just like a heavy who doesn't need to talk it's a perfect role for him and it's great to see that you know sort of in the mogul embassy haven't really suffered too much from the loss of ar fox in that storyline um can't really really say the same for ar fox unfortunately but swerve is is was fantastic here so is this a long story for hangman to find his mojo and get back to where he was And if so, is the signal of him finding that old hangman, him announcing to the crowd, my name is Hangman Page, and I am not an empty-headed fucking dumb fuck. (laughs) Um, Probably not. I am not a peg warmer. (laughs) (laughs) This poor guy. Then we get promos from Lethal and Penta, as well as Jeff Hardy and Samoa Joe. Jeff Hardy says he needs to be a world champion, and he's tired of saying sorry. Don't know if this is the tournament for him to realize that goal. Yeah. Collision will have Brian Danielson speaking, Bullet Club Golden action, Soraya speaks, the acclaimed speak. Like, does anyone wrestle on this show? Uh, and then we got the semifinals for the Eliminator. I, I, I'm not as... Um, jacked about this this lineup uh for, for for saturday i mean i watched tonight's dynamite and i felt like we had follow-up to all out but i also felt like we were missing like a good half of the story you know of, of, of the stories coming out of all out and all in and it really did feel to me like i collision is part two of dynamite that feels just as relevant to me and dynamite next week is in cincinnati it's got the four-way women's eliminator Hangman Page versus Brian Cage three. Is it yeah. is this a program that generates the three treatment? Um, well, Excalibur was putting it over like, oh, these two have had their history, and I, I, I mean, I'm sure I've I've watched. I'm sure we've reviewed all the matches. I guess it's it's just not a feud that stands out to me as much. 
I'm sure we made the page and cage jokes many a time. Right. And then Don Callis reveals his masterpiece next Wednesday via painting. Main event, world title eliminator Darby Allen against Nick Wayne that starts with a handshake and a hug. And Allen then proceeds to try and kill himself, diving into a guardrail, which uh, Nick Wayne looks on in horror at his mentor. Uh, Darby recovers during the break and applies a figure four. And then Darby gets on the mic and says, you're hitting me like an 18-year-old. Hit me like you really want to win. The announcers are stunned. We've never seen this in a match before. A guy just calling him calling him out for his lack of offense. And Darby puts his hand, uh, Darby puts his hands behind his back and gives his chin. And Darby winds up for a punch but instead hits him with a super kick and drills him with this thing. Then Christian and Luchasaurus come out and dude, we go to a second picture in picture with like 5 minutes to go. It They're felt fight. like they might have suffered from what Gable and Gunther suffered from, like maybe bad timing throughout the rest of the show, and they just have to cram these commercials in there. By the way, they uploaded that full match because Which of one? all the commercial interruptions. Gunther and Gable. Oh, did they? Well, yeah. that, that's good. It was a great match, and I imagine commercial-free, it's, uh, it was even better. They fought on the edge where Nick Wayne hit a Rana, sending him to the floor, and then Strong and the Kingdom are watching in the back. Wayne's World is hit for a two-count, and then Darby blocks uh, a cutter off the top. Wayne is down with his back upward, and Darby can't hit the coffin drop. He can't pull himself to do this. So he climbs down and just goes for the cover, which he kicks out, and Wayne nearly gets him with the Last Supper, which would have been an awesome finish if that was the ending here. They go into covers back and forth, code red by Darby. And then he yanks back Nick Wayne's arms and is going to like dislocate his shoulders as he starts stomping the head. It's like this dude couldn't hit a coffin drop on this guy, but he's willing to rip this dude's arms off. So he got over that guilt pretty quickly and submits Nick Wayne to advance and faces Roderick Strong on Saturday night. And they, and they did do a bit of an overrun here. They went several minutes over. I felt like it for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it must be nice to have the flexibility of an eighteen year old where you can do moves like that to, to the guy. But just not my back, Darby. Not my back, please. I've only got one so. spine. Don't hit me with that coffin drop. Yeah. Or like, it's, it was certainly like Darby not wanting to, you know, um, go overboard with the coffin drop versus you know what uh, what else he was doing. But I thought it was a really good match. You know, I thought Darby effectively kind of conveyed that teacher versus student story throughout. Um, and it's a good first chapter, I'm sure, for, you know, future iterations of this match that we'll see for years from now. Yeah, I I thought it was a good match. I think that these two probably on like with, with a bigger like I just see this match. This could have been like your first time doing this could have been a really special big deal. Um, mm-hmm. But but again, it's I mean, this this kid we're is we're going to get like 20 matches. With that's it. That's it. Over you, the years, you are you know? going to get more. But I, I certainly feel there is there's better in in these two. There was a lot oh, yeah. going on with this one and with the tournament and uh, the injuries that you're working in with, with Darby and the, then mm. the Christian stuff as well. It was just very busy um, th- throughout, throughout the match. But but right. fine. I, I wouldn't say this was a show. This was the rare dynamite where it wasn't one specific match that just was the big highlight. It was the non wrestling segments to me that were the strength of tonight's show and that is not usual for a a dynamite yeah i thought you had some really strong in-ring segments with mjf and joe and then um swerve and page those are my two highlights about the entire uh, night as well i thought the wrestling was good as it usually is on dynamite but but the the talking segments were better even than the than the wrestling tonight 
All right. Well, there you go. That was uh, that was Dynamite, which is uh, the setup for Collision, which is the setup for the finals on Wednesday, which is the setup for Grand Slam, which somewhere in there builds up a pay-per-view on October the 1st. It's kind of how wrestling works, right? It's uh, there, There's a lot of masters to serve for AEW over these next uh, couple of weeks, but... Yes, we will see uh, how Collision does and uh, and with the, with the semifinal. So I, th- I think everyone looks at Roderick and Joe as the final for next week. That would seem logical. Yeah, although anything can honestly happen. Um, Darby I and Joe is the more enticing match, but there is this the, the story is Roderick Strong trying to uh, win this tournament that would seem to uh, overcome Darby. Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, I just can't see Joe losing at all. Like, I feel like Joe is probably going to go ahead after this. At this point, he's just looking so strong lately. I can't um, imagine doing Max and Roderick at at Arthur Ashe Stadium. I can't either. unless they just feel like this story is just so hot and yeah, and they really need to build this show up. Like that show at the last check, like they are at around six thousand tickets for Arthur Ashe Stadium. Like it's it's going to be a far cry from year one mm. and and year two. Mm. Uh, we have one super chat to get to from. Jake from the Windy City. Thank you, Jake. He says, who do you think replaces Kevin Kelly in New Japan Pro Wrestling? I mean, it's uh, – you look at the options out there. I mean, it's it's not as though it's like the the deepest uh, amount of names um, that, that you have to to choose from and people that would be available. Um, I know a lot of people have thrown out like a, like a Lenny Leonard, but I mean, that guy has a, a full-time job. And I mean, this is not like just going somewhere for, for a weekend to do an indie, e- even to do collision um, would be an easier one for your schedule, but going over to Japan and like doing the G one, I mean, it's like to find an English uh, broadcaster. Um, like they might be going for like a, a left field pick. Yeah, um, you, you're talking mainly, I think, the hurdle of like, you know, committing to traveling or hopefully somebody who actually lives there, you know, and how rare of an opera, like how many English professional wrestling commentators might live in Japan? You know, they're lucky that they found Chris Charlton and, you know, Noah has Stuart Fulton, um, but I'm, I'm sure it's kind of slim pickings. All right, let's go to forum.postwrestling.com. And Jordan from the Bronx writes, the AEW character work recently has been very fun to watch. Tony Storm's old Hollywood, Christian Cage's crusade against fatherless men, this Roderick Strong neck thing. They're all some of their best work. These are some wild characters that they are crafting. A Hangman-Swerve feud is unexpected but intriguing. Hangman feels like he needs a reset, and Swerve is on the verge of breaking through to the upper level. Ricky Starks keeps asking for chances despite having big matches against MJF, Chris Jericho, CM Punk, and Brian Danielson this year. His character comes off as whiny and I'm not sure if that's the intent. MJF is great at blending his real life experiences with his character. I usually come away from these promos knowing more about him than I thought I wanted to and appreciating the amount of effort he puts into the presentation. Where do you see Chris Statlander's next big challenge coming from? It felt like Mercedes Martinez was up, but I don't know what happened to the challenge. I don't even know if it's that big. You know, like it's not like Mercedes Martinez has received any sort of push on um, Dynamite. Uh, I guess more so on collision, I suppose. But even then, I don't think her presence feels that big. So mm, who's the next big challenge after Ruby Soho? Um, Like, really, this division, it's like pick a name and it's usually a challenge issued. Like, there isn't like someone that you're seeing like that being built up towards a, a title match. Like, typically, it's like, look at this set up for Soraya's challenger at Grand Slam. It's just going to be win a match and you enter in. And it's sort of this 
Rolodex of women that they just shuffle in and there isn't a whole lot. Like, what is the audience demanding to see? Um, who are they demanding to see Athena. Chris Statlander face? Athena, who's not on her? Yeah, like for that's, something. that's the one. Um, yeah. And that's a much smaller audience that's following her on, on Ring of Honor. But in terms of like on the roster, like they, they haven't built anyone up where there's that that demand of like, oh, wow, this is this could be a great feud. Like could be some great matches. But I think you also want to create that that need of you know creating something where the audience wants something. Maybe they want to do sort of like the they just want to give her numbers right now, you know, to like it, it is an open challenge. So you're not really expected to like, you know, have challengers even announced beforehand. Like she could just be looking impressive in all of these matches, building up a similar streak to maybe what Orange Cassidy did. So and then maybe when you get closer to a pay-per-view cycle to really kind of focus on one particular challenger. Um but for now, I see her having these sort of weekly TV appearances, and I think they've been relatively successful so far. Let's go to Jermaine from Chicago, who says, a few thoughts on AEW and Dynamite. A couple of words about CM Punk. If I'm CM Punk, the next time I see Jungle Jack, the Kill Bill revenge music would go off, and when I was finished, Jack would beg Tony Khan to have WWE scripting. All right. I love shows when new programs are introduced, and that Joe and MJF segment was very good and entertaining. The lead-up to Sammy and Chris Jericho should be real interesting. Question for you two. Would you keep Collision like it was where it featured different talent? Or now, since Punk is gone, would you make it Dynamite Night 2? I'm cool with Danielson stepping in the Punk role with Collision pretty much saving, staying the same. Thanks. I think generally people like the fact that there are differences between Dynamite and Collision. And that went beyond just having CM Punk on on the Saturday show. I think that there are things I would want to have differences, like something that feels more like Collision than Dynamite and vice versa. But you can also look at the fact, I mean, the the talent situation, I think that's going to be tough to have talent on both shows. Like it's, it's a bit of a logistical nightmare travel wise to be sending your talent on the road for a Wednesday. And then like, what are they doing Thursday, Friday? And then they've got to be back on Saturday. Like some weeks you'll have to do that. But I don't know if that's going to be the norm where you're going to routinely see people um, showing up on a Wednesday and a Saturday each week so i think and quite honestly i think you want to have some separation even though it it might be you know not as hard and fast as this person is collision and this person is dynamite yeah i would expect like you know the shows to continue to have maybe it's typical roster or like maybe a house of black you know is almost all, mainly on saturdays but without the restriction of having them appear on a wednesday occasionally or a brian danielson appearing on a wednesday occasionally when the storyline necessitates um maybe that's what what they mean or maybe these reports mean when they say there's no real hard and fast brand split um but I also like the fact that each show kind of has its identity. Each show kind of has its own division um, and that I'd, I'll have to tune in on Saturday if I want to see a Brian Danielson. Or Danielson cutting a promo off the top to Elton John. What? He did Doing that? His, like his, uh, the, the promos at the start of the show, like the Saturday Night's Oh, event. you mean – I thought you meant Brian Danielson cutting a promo on Elton John. Oh, well, he did, could what, do that too. What did Elton just... John do to Brian Danielson? Um, don't know until you, until you ask him, maybe he mm-hmm. has a Brian, uh, Elton John story 
Cody from Maine. The in-ring was fine enough, but this episode was highlighted by the promos and character work. The trio of pre-recorded promos from Starks, Roderick Strong, and Tony Storm were all great, while the MJF Joe and Swerve Hangman segments were home runs. I'm intrigued by the latter combination. Two upper mid-carters aiming to make it back into the big picture, and with no obvious winner to their eventual match or matches, it feels important. That said, despite being a fan of both, I hope Swerve gets the big win after being unable to take the international title off Orange Cassidy and losing at Wembley. I think so too. I think even if Paige loses this feud, um, there's still plenty of story to be told with him. Um, whereas I think, I, I think, I think you, there's so much you could do with Swerve. Let's go lastly to Muggin, who says the one thing that struck me about MJF and Roddy's neck issues, the common denominator is Samoa Joe and how quickly Adam Cole can come to each person's date separately. What if it comes out that Roddy's neck issues were premeditated? collision during the Owen Cup. But yes, uh yeah, um so Roddy's neck injury was actually caused by Samojo initially. So um Muggin I guess here is saying that it's a fake neck injury. He was working with Samojo this entire time. Okay. Um you don't want to get to the point where it's like so convoluted that you know you lose your audience. I I think you can get into a situation where like it was a real neck injury and uh that's it. Uh, Rob McDonald sends a super chat. He says, what's the latest on Jade Cargill? Do you know? No, no update on, on Jade Cargill. I mean, she's, um, you know, it's, yeah, it just seems she like. She wasn't a, injured. She just took time off, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it sounds like it's more so just in, in her court of what she wants to do next. Um, mm-hmm. But she would yeah. be someone that certainly, like for a Chris Statlander, like that would be a natural to go back to. And the way that they did it, where it was Statlander's first night back and wins the title so quickly, um, that one kind of screamed rematch and build to something else. But uh, that's out of their control at, at this point. All right. On that note, thanks everyone for the feedback. Thanks for tuning in tonight. If you want to go back, Brandon and I did a, uh, we had no guest on the show today, but instead we went through a, a bunch of, uh, of news, which there was no shortage of, and we threw it out to you. Lots of uh, questions sent in. So we went through uh, various questions on today's show. So if you like this format, that's wonderful. Uh, we, we appreciate all those that check out the show. And of course, John Ceno and B Detroit going through NXT. That is also up on the main post-wrestling feed, as well as all of our regular shows. And we're back Thursday with Rewind Away, postwrestlingcafe.com. $6 gets you into the door with a month's access with bonus shows each and every week. No less than three shows coming at you uh, this week with Collision Course and Rewind a Smackdown. A, a triple dose of waiting on the cafe on three consecutive nights. Could you ask for much more? Um. The answer is no way. No. no one could ask for more than waiting on a regular loop in their ears. All right. Well, I hope I could live up to that uh, wonderful billing. All right. That is it for us. Thank you for tuning in to Rewind to Dynamite, and we'll speak with you on Thursday. <laughs>